Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15? Matthew 15. I'm just going to begin this morning by reading the passage, so if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 21, which is where we left off last week. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is A Seat at the table. We're in the middle of wedding season, or maybe kind of coming to the end of it. That's why there's so many anniversaries in our church. So let me ask you the question. Did anybody leave you off 
the invite list this summer to a wedding that you thought you would be invited to. How did that strike you? When we're left out, when we don't have a seat at the banqueting table, it can be disappointing, even crushing. But let's be honest. We sometimes leave out others, don't we? Or maybe think of a different scenario, the opposite scenario. You get invited to a dinner party or to a wedding that you didn't expect to be invited to. Has that ever happened? I mean, you wanted to be there, but not in your wildest dreams did you think that you would be included. You are overwhelmed by the welcome. Feeling welcome, feeling unwelcome can be intense feelings because the sense of welcome gets at the very heart of who we are as human beings. One day, friends, Jesus is going to be throwing a really important dinner party. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And let me assure you, you want to have a seat at that table. There is going to be so much rejoicing at that party. So much rejoicing. And let me assure you that there will be plenty of food to go around for everybody. But it won't simply be physical hunger that is satisfied at that banqueting table. All of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled to the brim. All right desires will be met. Sickness will be no more. Satan will be no more. Our sin will be no more. Everything will be made right We will be full to the gills with satisfaction at what the Lamb sets before us at that table. But not everybody is going to be there. And so the question before us this morning is who will be there? Who will have a seat at that table? And our text gives us an answer. This is what it is. Jesus welcomes anyone at His table who comes to Him in faith. Jesus welcomes anyone at His table who comes to Him in faith. That is my sermon in a sentence. But what does it look like to come to Him in faith? And why does Jesus welcome anyone who comes to Him in faith? Two questions that we need to answer. And each of these questions has to do with the heart. It has to do with desire. So the first question, what does it look like to come to Jesus in faith, has to do with our heart. 
It has to do with our desire. The second question, why does Jesus welcome anyone who comes to Him in faith? Has to do with His heart and with His desire. So let's begin with the first question. What does it look like to come to Jesus in faith? The answer to this question is found in the first scene of our passage where Jesus encounters the Canaanite woman. Her faith teaches us what it looks like to come to Jesus in faith. And this is what we learn from her. Faith is an earnest desire to receive mercy from Jesus. An earnest desire. Notice that language to receive mercy from Jesus. We see in verse 22, the beginning of this passage, this earnest desire in the Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus and notice the verbs. She cries out. She is pleading with Him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David, for my daughter is severely oppressed. By a demon. This is remarkable. Remember, the setting to our story matters. What is the setting of the story in verse 21? This is in the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a Canaanite woman calling Jesus Lord. Calling Jesus the son of David. Which is basically a way of saying, you are the Messiah. All of the Jews, well not all of them, but so many of them, like the Pharisees we encountered last week, you know, the Bible students, the Bible scholars who have been waiting for the Messiah to come, they know all of the answers, they can say all of their memory verses, and Jesus shows up right in front of them, and they don't see it, but now a Gentile woman A Canaanite cries out, Son of David, you are the Messiah. Remarkable. But what probably caught your attention was not this woman's profession of faith in Jesus as Messiah, was it? What caught your attention as I read this passage? It's the way Jesus responds to her, isn't it? She comes to him pleading for mercy. And how does he respond to her? Look at verse 23. At first, he ignores her. She pours out her heart before him. And he did not answer her a word. Then his disciples want to send her away. She's not welcome at this party. And we expect Jesus to come to her defense, to rebuke His disciples who are trying to keep her away. But He doesn't do that. Instead, He says to anybody who's listening, my first priority, I I came for the lost sheep of Israel. Not for the Gentiles. Then when she reiterates her 
petition and says, Lord, help me. Jesus gets downright offensive with her. Listen to what He says to her. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What? Jesus? Making a racial slur? Is that what He's doing? Is he a racist? Is he a chauvinist? Certainly not. But we have to ask the question, why is he talking to her like this? And I believe the answer is this. I believe he is trying to draw out and to highlight her remarkable We see Him doing this throughout the Gospels. He will engage in a line of reasoning or questioning in order to draw out and to highlight her her profession, I mean her great faith. Notice that Jesus has already healed Gentiles. He's done it a number of times. Chapter 8 is a good thing to go back and read and review. He has already said that one day many from the east and the west, that is, Gentiles. Many will come and recline at the table with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and some of the Jews will actually be left out in the dark, not having a seat at the table. Jesus has also said many times that the faith of Gentiles is greater than anything He has seen in Israel. So why is Jesus talking to the Canaanite woman like He is? Because He knows that she, this Gentile woman, has that kind of faith. And He wants to draw it out of her. And to highlight it for all who are listening. Because His disciples, they could learn a thing or two about her faith. And you and me could learn a thing or two about her faith. She shows us what kind of faith is needed for those who will have a seat at the table in the heavenly banquet. When Jesus ignores her, what does she do? She persists. When the disciples want to send her away, what does she do? She pleads again, help me. When Jesus says bread is only for the Jews, what does she do? She says, oh, don't misunderstand me. I don't need to sit in the seat of honor. I don't need my food served up hot and fresh. Just give me the leftovers. Just give me the crumbs from the Master's table. And Jesus says to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. That was his end game. He wanted to show that. Oh woman, great is your faith. Notice what he says next. Be it done for you as you desire. Then her daughter was healed instantly. What makes her faith so great if we are going to learn from it? I believe it's because it is a heart level faith. It is a faith that comes from her 
desire. It is not simply an intellectual faith. Not simply a rational faith that rationally understands that Jesus is the Son of David, the Messiah. It is rational, but it's not simply rational. It goes beyond that. It is a hungry faith, would maybe be the best way I could put it. A faith that comes from the gut She sees her great need. She knows that only Jesus can meet that need. That's faith. An earnest desire to receive mercy from Jesus. That's the tonal quality of saving faith. About ten years ago, my niece was diagnosed with a rare form of of eye cancer. She could have lost her eye. She could have lost her life. In fact, it was a real and present danger. She was just a little girl. My brother and his wife were devastated. But then they became desperate to find her the help that they needed voraciously seeking the help that she needed. And what they learned was that the best help available for her was not available in the hospitals in Kansas City. The best help available for this type of cancer was available at a hospital in Philadelphia. They knew that. They learned that. So what did they do with that? Did they just tuck that knowledge away? No. They put that knowledge to use. They got on the phone. They begged and pleaded to get her into this hospital. They got the referrals they need. They got on the airplane time after time after time. They had an earnest desire for Livy to get the help that she needed. They believed and knew in their mind that this hospital in Philly was the best. And so they went there. And it worked. After many trips and many specialized chemo treatments, she was healed. That's the picture of the earnest desire that is needed. The earnest desire that we see in the Canaanite woman. The earnest desire that this passage is calling us to. Our faith in Jesus needs to move beyond the intellectual. We need a sense of our desperate need for healing. And not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. And we need to know that Jesus is not just the best option out there. He is the only option when it comes to the spiritual healing that we need. And so if we know that, What do we do with that? We must come to Him with an earnest desire for mercy. That is the faith that is needed to have a seat at the table in the heavenly banquet. But you know, it's not just our heart and our desire that matter 
even more importantly, it's the heart of Jesus and His desire that matters. And that leads me to my second question. Why? Why does Jesus welcome anyone at His table who comes to Him in faith? Why? Here's the answer. Jesus has a compassionate desire to provide for anyone who comes to Him. So we need a faith that is this earnest desire for mercy. But more importantly, we have a Savior who has a compassionate desire to provide for the needs that we have. The second scene of our passage begins in verse 29. You may draw your attention there. It takes place on the mountain beside the Sea of Galilee. An important thing to note about this setting is that this is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Mark tells us explicitly that it's in the Decapolis. This is Gentile territory. So, the Canaanite woman, Gentile territory. Now what's about to take place is also in Gentile territory. So these crowds come to Him and they bring Him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, we're told. And what does Jesus do? He heals them. No surprises here. This is what Jesus does. But what is surprising, we've heard summaries of crowds being healed in masses. All Jews. Now, we're being told the same type of thing but it applies to Gentiles. The other surprising thing is the great faith they have, like the Canaanite woman. In verse 31, we read that when they experienced all of this healing, they wondered. They wondered. You may write in the margin there what the NIV says. They were amazed. I think that gets at it a little better. Or they were astounded. Or they marveled. This is Matthew's way, he uses this word a lot, to say they had great faith. He goes on at the end of that paragraph to say that they glorified the God of Israel. Gentiles in Gentile territory giving glory to the God of Israel. Remarkable. But what I want to focus on is what happens next. These crowds are spending time with Jesus. They're being healed by Him. They're likely at His feet listening to His teaching. They're there three days and they become hungry. And so what does Jesus do? He calls His disciples to Him and says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with Me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And... I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. There it is. The heart of Jesus. That's why He welcomes anyone who comes to Him in faith. It's because His heart overflows with compassion. He's not willing to send away those who come to Him hungry. Literally, that reads, He does not desire 
He does not desire to send them away. Jesus' desire is to provide for anyone who earnestly desires Him. When Jesus fed the 5,000 in chapter 14, what did the disciples want to do? Send the crowds away. When the Canaanite woman comes, what do they want to do? Send her away. Hospitality is too hard for Jesus' disciples. He knows this tendency in them. And so he cuts them off at the pass here. Before they can say anything, he says, I have compassion on the crowd. I am unwilling to send them away. My great desire is to feed them. Because that's what the Good Shepherd does. What follows is the miracle of feeding the 4,000. Very similar to what you saw a couple of weeks ago with the feeding of the 5,000. So why is this story even here? The main difference is the audience. It's no longer a group of Jews. It's a group of Gentiles. That's what I think we are meant to see. Jesus' ministry to the lost sheep of Israel was first. To the Jews first. But here we see Him widen His welcome. The Jews first, but now He widens His welcome to the Gentiles. And so the emphasis here is that Jesus has a compassionate desire to provide for anyone who comes to Him in faith. He is demonstrating tangibly that the bread that was given to the children of Israel in chapter 14 is here being given in chapter 15 to the Gentile dogs. But Jesus doesn't see them as dogs. He not only has compassion on the Jews, He gives the same compassion to anyone who comes to Him in faith. He sets a table in the wilderness for Jews and Gentiles. He feeds both. And guess what? Both are so stuffed that they can't even eat everything that's laid out in front of them. Same story for both the Jews and the Gentiles. So who can have a seat at the table? Anyone who places their trust in Jesus. And why is that the case? Because of Jesus' heart, His compassion, His desire to provide. But His heart is for so much more than providing for our physical needs. For so much more than filling our stomachs with bread. More than healing of sicknesses. It is a heart to deal with our deepest and most fundamental hungers thirsts, desires. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And how did He do that? Not through miracles in the wilderness. He did that on a cross where He paid the price for our sins by bearing the blame that was ours. And this passage actually points to that. Notice here in the feeding of the 4,000, we're told, what does Jesus do? He has everybody sit down 
And then he takes bread, and after he gives thanks, he breaks that bread, he gives it to the disciples who give it to the people, and then they eat. In chapter 26, we see the same type of thing going on, only this time it's not on a mountainside. It's in an upper room. There too, Jesus has the people sit down. And when He takes the bread and gives thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is My body. And then He took the cup, saying, Drink, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This feeding on the mountain draws out the heart of Jesus, but it does more. It points to where that compassion is going to be put on display in such clarity, which is on the cross of Jesus Christ. It points to the forgiveness that God provides for us in Jesus at the cross. It's on the cross that He paid for our sins. This is the only way to have a seat at the heavenly banquet table. We must come to see that we are sinners in need of grace. And we must come to see that only Jesus can provide that for us. This earnest desire must lead us to go to Him in faith. If you are here today, and you're feeling like an outsider. Maybe like you're on the fringes. Like there's no way you could ever receive an invitation to this supper. Maybe you're feeling like a dog. You need to know that Jesus' heart is not only for those who are near his heart is also for those who are far off. If you see your need for Jesus and come to Him, He will not send you away. If you desire to be saved by Him, you will be welcomed by Him. To the rest of you who already belong to Jesus, I have a challenge for us as well. Why is it that some feel unwelcome at Jesus' table? Could it be because they feel unwelcome at our table? At the table of Jesus' own disciples? Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody at your table? And if so, who? What does your dinner table look like? Or whatever space of welcome you have available to you. Does it reflect the dinner table of our Lord? This table set in the wilderness in the middle of Gentile country? Is there a seat at the table for the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, 
Those were the ones who were at Jesus' table. And if not, why? Do we so easily forget that we ourselves were once far off? But He has brought us near by the blood of Jesus Christ? Let us bring others near. He has widened His welcome for us. How wide is our welcome? For those of you who are wondering whether or not Jesus could ever set a seat at the table for you, if you're wondering whether or not He could ever welcome you to His dinner party, I want to close with one of my favorite poems. It's by George Herbert. It closes his book of poems. It's simply called Love. In this poem, Love, is the name Herbert gives to Jesus. This is what it says. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here? Love said, you shall be He. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on Thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes? But I. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I did sit and eat. This is your invitation to the great feast, the heavenly dinner party, the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you desire to come to the One who bore your blame, then by all means, come. You will indeed be welcome. Let us pray. Father, enlarge our hearts. That we may understand in deeper measure your welcoming love in Christ. Then help us to extend that same welcoming love to others. We ask in Jesus' name.